You're listening to the Legendarium Blue Team. You have chosen wisely. Please go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. I was going to say, what, how, how would you feel about uh, taking a break from Dresden Files and picking up the next one in a year? <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. No. Oh, my gosh. No. Your faces. You, <laughs> you both look so dejected and mad right now. Welcome to The Legendarium. This is episode 252, and we are the Blue Team. Today, we're going to be reviewing the latest installment, well, not the latest installment, but our latest, latest read. Yeah, the latest for yeah. us uh, of the Dresden Files. We're going to be reading Proven, or we're going to be reviewing Proven Guilty. Are we halfway through now? Halfway through what has Ish. been published? Yes. Okay. I, yes. Is there is there 18 or is there? There are 16 as of this recording. Okay, okay. But it's got no... Signs yeah, he, of slowing down. He's I yeah. Mean, he'd wanted to end at like twenty two or something. Yeah, we we got lots random. of lots of books ahead of us. As there is recording. there is plenty of opportunity for us to enjoy the wizarding world of Harry Dresden. Plus, yeah. keep in mind again, as of this uh, recording, two anthologies and mm-hmm. a couple of graphic novels. Ooh. Oh, I hadn't heard about the graphic so, novels. Yeah, so okay. I mean, there's lots of Dresden verse stuff, but but yeah, for all intents and purposes, we're halfway. All right, right now. Well, uh, we've we've been looking forward to this one. This is this is actually one that uh, I think I finished the book three weeks ago or two weeks ago. Uh, I think we we kind of Ken and I kind of crushed through this one pretty fast because it just we grabbed on and just ran. And then we've we've done some other things in the meantime. Uh, but you this poor one, guys, I've been I finally finished it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had so much going on. <laughs> We, we we all have we yeah. all have and yeah. I was it, enjoying it I just didn't have time to sit down and read yeah and for me it was all about the fact that I had a couple of long distance drives and so I was able to get those in while I was doing that we so. should we should post our picture on uh, the reddit or something of the three of us all trying out for the same play yeah <laughs> that would be a fun picture so it's that been a, it's be a been a picture. busy time in blue team world as long mm-hmm. as Megan doesn't kill us um so anyway I make no promises I'm sure of that um let's do some housekeeping first before we turn Ken loose um, for those of you for those of you who are new you can find us at uh, patreon.com where we would love for you to go if you want to support the support the podcast uh, please let me let me reiterate in the strongest possible terms when you support the podcast it helps us make better podcasts it does not go to pay for our vacations to Aruba um which is why none of us have been there. We don't go say, to Aruba. Yeah. Yeah, we, I went to we, Aruba. I'm not even sure we've had a vacation. Um, I Craig haven't. lets us out once in a while to get food, but other than that, I think he he keeps us chained in the office so that or in, here in the in the studio so that we can read and record. So it's kind of how things go. It's kind of um, awkward, but we make it work. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> Patreon.com, Reddit. Uh, you can it's find us on Reddit. Like you can find us on Twitter, on email. Uh, if you look for our names, uh, in our first names at the Legendarium or dot yeah dot com yeah. Uh, for our Gmail address, you can find us there. Reach out to us; we love to engage. We engage the best we can. Uh, I think Ken is probably the best at engaging in all of those other formats. I've been pretty slack lately. <laughs> Megan's been better than I have, so there we go. That's and those saying of you, something. those of you who are in Megan's mob, please understand: I love Megan. I love all of you. Uh huh. I just. 
happen to like my own better. And, um, and she literally well, has so cookies. Loud. <laughs> she literally has cookies. She, brought she does cookies. have cookies. I she did. does have cookies. I brought cookies today. And they're beautiful. And I've been told that I'm not allowed to have any more because I chew too loudly. Well, um, you can have some after the podcast. After the, okay. okay after we'll chain you back up and give you a cookie. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Please, may I have another? Um, so, uh, and for those of you who don't get that, that's okay. Read a book. Um, we've got books to read keep, and we've got one going, to talk Boomer. about. So, oh, 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 Ken, you are closing in on pain, brother. Yeah. Um, Ken, why don't you give us a recap on this one? I'm, oh, I'm anxious to hear what you have to say on it. This book was so much fun. I, I say We say that about every Dresden book. But the most important thing, remember that time that I said it's past time for Michael to show back up? And that other time when I said Molly Carpenter will become important. Mm-hmm. Turn, I do remember that. Turns out like a blind squirrel finding an acorn or a blind pig finding a truffle or a stop <laughs> clock that's right twice a day. Sometimes I'm pretty smart. <laughs> okay, boomer. Yeah. <laughs> so another year has passed and Harry is all in the life of the White Council Warden minus the shiny sword of awesome for some reason. He's cleaning up the magic works. He's uh, helping bring down the rogue black magic users. But Harry's like the new kid in the frat who has a problem with the way that the established frat brothers haze the new kids. And to make matters worse, that darn Dean Merlin has it in for him and won't stop till he runs Harry out of White Council University. Those are all kind of old references. Yes, they are. Nicely done. First step, Warden Harry has to track down a black magic user right in the Windy City nexus of the magical universe. And at that same time, evil fear demons are chasing down a suddenly grown and nubile Molly Carpenter and her friends, leaving Harry racked with yet another or more uh, collateral guilt. Did you say nubile? I did. Wow. Well, you know. (laughs) Do do, do you see the inevitable connection here? Mm -hmm. Black magic Mm -hmm. users, demons, Mm -hmm. Molly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, formerly sweet little Molly is all mostly grown up and summoning all aspects of movie horror. What's really happening is good-hearted Molly is trying to look out for her friends and that darn inherent magical ability passed down from her mom. What? What? Yeah, that was Oh, a my goodness. Kind of frustrates her plans and gets her squarely in the crosshairs of the Warden Chop Squad. But Harry Smooth talks his way into protecting her as a mentor while also reconciling House Carpenter. If this wizarding world doesn't, uh, or wizarding work doesn't work out, Harry's really got himself a uh, future as a family counselor. Yeah, so as bit. long as he has a, a side, uh, uh, as a... A side gig with swords and shooting people. Right. So Harry also finally gets a chance to finally admit to playing brain host to one of the fallen. But it turns out that Michael's pretty cool with the whole let people make their own decisions and judge them on the content of their character thing. So rather than give Harry the old Amarakius two-step, he offers guidance instead. Because, of course, he would remember he's that whole, you know. He's Wilson the neighbor. Yeah, he's, he's pretty much the best so the only way he really is with a sword without a sword michael's just the best yes he is we can talk about that later yes he is so the only (laughs) way for harry to get rid of lash permanently is to toss the coin oh and also for harry to toss this magic forever but that ain't happening so like the squatter from literal hell we get to enjoy the temptress riding shotgun in harry's head for at least until the second only way to evictor presents itself in a book so here questions uh (laughs) <laughs> end of that's book. the end of book okay well, you know. that's not the end of book i know and i'm the, gonna have fun bringing us back to that that's one. the that's the end of recap we'll talk about the rest so i kind of left out some kind of important stuff it's not a matter of if but how much trouble is the winter court going to be going forward oh my, oh, my goodness yeah is thomas's new crowd that he's running with going to be a problem for harry absolutely absolutely how do we feel about murphy totally going full esmeralda to harry's quasimodo and friend zoning him hard Uh, that was was brutal 
And uh, what would Michael have done if the wardens actually had executed Molly? Oh, that's the yep. mind. The that mind. Is a good that's question. a great what if. That and is. I, and and, oh. the, and I'm willing to come back to that. Boy, one. we have yeah. to think about that. Okay, so that's it. And remember, from Thomas's mouth to God's ears, oh yeah, this all isn't going to come back and bite anyone in the ass later. <laughs> oh, and, and P.S. and remember, lemonade with lemonade ice cubes is the most brilliant concept right? ever. Oh my gosh, that's such a good idea. I was like, oh, that, my That statement all best. over over and over again. Do you still have those delightful lemonade ice cubes? That sounds brilliant. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> I I was reading this book and I thought this is a perfect book to be reading at Halloween because it's all about, you know, monsters and horror movies and all of those things. And then they bring up the lemonade and I just thought, oh, I'm sad that it's so cold in Utah right now. Yes. <laughs> I would yes. like some lemonade. And I would like some lemonade ice cubes. Yep. I think I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to look into this. That's going to have to be a thing. Right. Yeah. Lemonade with lemonade ice chips. So, oh. Ken, you brought up that you brought up a point and I wanted to this is one of the first questions that I had. Well, you brought up a point that I want to talk about. Yeah, you brought okay. up several, but this is this is one that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> did you did did any of us miss the foreshadowing and the indication that Molly was the dark magic user, the black magic user that we were going to have to look at? Me, I did. I, I, but part of it was because my reading of it was so choppy. I had a hard time remembering things that had happened on earlier in the book. Yeah, I think you, you say things now. Well, <laughs> thank you. I, <laughs> this was the this book felt like it was written just as a episode of a TV show. It just yes, everything was step by step leading you. It, it, it all felt there were there were some. There were some uh, uh, surprise twists at the end. There were, you know, but, there were, but we'll for have, the we'll most part, those. it all felt very guided step by step to when, to uh, get to where we were going. And I don't know whether I, I don't. I, and I, I'm not saying that's bad, by the way. I'm, yeah, I'm just saying yeah. this one. No, no, no. It made perfect sense when it came up, and I went, "Oh, I'm not smart." Yeah. So well, <laughs> but smart. Uh, here's here's the thing. I, I and Megan, I'm totally with you from a standpoint of if if you were having a difficult time making the reading be consistent yeah. and it was nice and smooth and flowy uh for your time and for your opportunity to be to keep things in context it would it would have been easy to miss a couple of things yeah um f for me the the kick was uh mouse and mouse's oh, reaction oh, to molly yeah um, oh yeah and yeah. because oh. because as we look at as we look at one of the things that that um jim has been doing with with Dresden's world mm -hmm. is he's he's doing a really good job of giving him some extra people that give him extra insight, mm -hmm. um, especially when we're working with people that he should already know pretty well. In earlier iterations of of his book, we of his books, we've been talking about the fact that the gumshoe uh, angle always fits in. There's always the femme fatale that comes in, and she's always a lot more than meets right. the eye. She's not yeah. just the innocent dame in distress. She's also probably the, the dame that's causing the distress. Yeah. You know, all these different kinds of things. Well, when you see Molly come in and you go, yeah, but it's Molly. It's Molly. She's yeah. just having a rough time right now. Mm. Which you, you want to say at the same time, she doesn't mean to cause the trouble she's causing because you just don't want to believe that she's actually, you know, bad. And it turns out that she's not. Well, and, and yet... And again, I don't think she will be. I, I well, but I she could anything. be. Like she the fact be. that you Why know, not? it could have gone either way. Yeah, we, we get an lucky. indication on that in, of that in the soul gaze. Yeah, we get yeah. an indication of the fact, and I love the so way cool. that they described that soul gaze. That mm -hmm. was really cool. Um, the one thing that we didn't get is we didn't find out what she saw during the soul gaze, and 
I'm really right. curious. She she talks a little bit about that at the end where she says, you know, you you love people and you're really lonely and you know, yes, kind well, of the things that she's picking out. But here's the thing. We get her reaction to it. We don't know what she sees. I really would be curious to see what to hear what somebody sees when they look at Harry. Remember when Harry said that he yeah. or when, when we hear that um, he's looking at Murphy and uh, a few a few books ago when when he was in the middle of the opening his wizard site, mm -hmm. he saw um, one of the one of the former members, a retired member of SI wrapped in barbed wire. Yeah. Right. Right. Was, and yeah. then Murphy comes in and he sees her as an avenging angel, all dressed in white, carrying a flaming sword and all this kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Do you remember what he said this time when he still had his wizard site open and he saw Murphy? That she still looked like an avenging angel, but she was more tattered. Um, I think, mm. uh, and I, I should have, oh, yeah. I should have identified the the exact quote so I could be reading it. Somebody probably is out there saying, "Todd, it's on page one hundred and thirty-two. I'm sure it is. I can check it right now. But, uh, um, but, but he made the indication she's a little more worse for wear. Um, she's uh, got she's her armor is be, is dirty and covered with a little bit more blood. Mm -hmm. I think what we're seeing is that some of the choices that she's had to make and some of the choices that she has to deal with are starting to impact how she is perceived through sight. And that's why I wonder what Molly saw with Harry. You're supposed to see the essence of the person. Sure. Great. I get that. But I'm really, really interested to hear what somebody else sees. I can't wait. Yeah. I'm sure we're going to get it at some point in time. I'm Are sure you? somebody's going to say I, something these, at these some point in time. These do take place from Harry's point of view. They do. And he probably doesn't want to know what other people see. And the perfect reason why somebody's going to tell him. Yeah. Well, and most of the people that he knows so far have already soul-gazed him, so. And they, and they still treat him with both respect and a little bit of distance. Yep. Yeah. Most of them treat him with respect and a little bit of distance. So that that piece of the puzzle... I'm very curious about, but you're right. We've got an we've got an indication that that Molly very easily could become a, a real true practitioner of the black arts and uh -huh. a very powerful one at that. Um, you remember what what Harry says to her about the veil uh, when she said mm -hmm. that she veiled herself in that first initial spot, and he said, "That's some real talent, kid." And she's yeah. like, "Really?" He says, "I can't yeah. even do a veil, and I'm I'm a, I'm pretty powerful in the wizard world, yeah, but I can't even come close to doing that." And you did it out of instinct. That's pretty powerful stuff. So we're getting an indication here that that Molly is. Uh, I'm sure Molly's going to figure in very heavily as we move forward. Oh, I, I'm sure. And yeah, and that is going to prove provide all kinds of opportunities for difficulty for Harry. I know. I'm I'm enjoying the fact that his first uh, apprentice is going to be a teenage girl. Uh, <laughs> first of all, like the daughter of his friend, but a teenage girl who's had a crush on him for a really long time. And it's it's difficult uh, to I mean, he says in the in the novel, you know, you don't want to go up to a rock star and say, hey, look at me play a song and then be terrible at it, um, right. which is why she didn't approach him at the beginning. Sure. Um, but there's still going to be plenty of that, which is just going to be really hard on her. And Harry is not necessarily the most patient of people. Uh, so I was right. grateful that Michael said, you know, children bring out the best of you. They help you to be more patient. They help you to be more kind. Um, but also this, this is just, I'm really excited. I think this is going to be very entertaining. 
and it's just going to oh. be really good for him. If the first indicate, if the first lesson is any indication, when she comes yeah. out of the shower and and drops the robe, and then he says, or then he does, <laughs> yeah, he here's the ice water, the ice water yeah. all over, and says, "This is never going to happen." <laughs> was, was that was that just rem, remotely uncomfortable for anybody else? Okay, <laughs> the whole. The whole the whole scene i'm just like i like that he's being honest oh, about his reactions though he's like oh my body is betraying me and now my emotions are and i'm just like yeah because you're human yeah she's there and she's willing and well, how long has it been we've had probably, that question oh, asked several Harry. times during this particular <laughs> well and most long, of his but... his interactions with women where he's been alone with them that we are familiar with in in the series of novels have been women who have been trying to seduce him or at some point he has some kind of relationship with them so it's kind of to me, it wasn't that surprising that it happened, but it was just no. so interesting. He's yeah. like, and I sat down and waited for the inevitable. And that was the inevitable because he just knew. Yeah, absolutely. Very smart. He oh, pays yeah. attention to people. So I, I, I think we can all agree that this is um, this is a this is a piece that is going to be um, filled with lots of opportunity for for delight, mm -hmm. uh, for really interesting situations, but also for a, for, I think, a lot of really interesting connection between harry and mccoy yes yes and i'm so I, happy they reconciled i loved the fact that at the end of the at the end of the book harry makes that choice mm -hmm. um to to get to a point where he can go to his mentor and say you know what i would would you like to have lunch <laughs> it was really you know and and being being guys um they they do it the way that guys do it you know yeah. guys don't say I'm so sorry. I have Guys don't do that. There are multiple ways to say I love you. One there, of them is fasten your seatbelt. Like they're just, they're, it's, there are. it's a way to tell each other. And they've known each other for so long. They have that shorthand. They understand. Yeah. The It will give us an excellent opportunity to see into Harry's apprenticeship as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Based on the way he acts as a mentor. And I mean, he's going to have plenty of opportunities, even if it's just in his, in his, uh, narration or if it's directly as a lesson to tell us things that he did or th things that he experienced when he was an apprentice so so that's exciting yeah we get I, a look into the past i th i think that um what i'm sorry i just got distracted in my mind i'm just like remember that part where he's like are you sexually active come on molly tell me do you boink and i'm like <laughs> <laughs> i just laughed so hard <laughs> She's like, she's like, that's well, only perfectly related to what we were talking about. But in my mind, I was just like, <laughs> I laughed so hard at that. <laughs> so, so hard. It's, and, oh, no. uh, uncomfortable enough for her, but, uh, but uncomfortable enough for some of the rest of us as well. I know, but I love that Harry's just so matter of fact about it. He's like, this is going to be awkward no matter how I say it. So let's just say it. Yep. Yep. Um, I, <laughs> I, I think that that is probably the, the, the most redeeming part, the most lighthearted redeeming part of this book. Because otherwise, this book has some pretty heavy-duty material. Oh, gosh. Starting out with the very beginning where a young man is executed mm -hmm. um, and Harry has to come to terms with the way that all of this is happening and his role. Yep. He's no longer in the role of being able to thumb his nose at the council. He is yeah. the enforcer for yep. the council, for the area of Chicago, for that greater that greater jurisdiction. Yeah. And so his his relationship to uh, the questionable use of magic has changed dramatically, all while he's embroiled in some of the questionable use of magic. 
Yes. I I like the way he calls back to that later with the White Council where he brings up, you know, we've had a lot of a lot of these people coming up and they're untrained and we don't have the resources to help them. And so we're just killing them. And is that really the best way to go about these things? Um, It's just I'm glad that he called them out and brought up that brought that up. It it makes it it makes me wonder a little bit if this will start Harry into the uh, the collector of orphan children who have magical powers. Um, Is is that going to be why everybody that ever runs away takes a bus to Chicago um, and they (laughs) they wind up in Chicago because they've got magical? It sounds like Lucio does have a a group of people that she is fostering and teaching yes they but have those some are kind of be, jedi they've got, academy yeah, they've got to find them somewhere and but those are but i i think if we if we look at that that's really the the group of the wardens that's the warrior council that she's building oh okay and so i don't think that that's i i don't think that that that's for people who have already demonstrated that some talent and magic and they are at the at their the uh at, at least as i understand it right they're at the end of their magical training and they've pretty much finished their apprenticeship now they're going into a specialization okay um, I get that. in the world of the wizarding world of harry potter they finished their o levels and they're moving on to their specializations um <laughs> for those of you who might almost understand that that's it that's a different harry wizard that's a different harry uh different wizarding world and different harry um but yeah i think we've got i i think there's going to be some some really interesting opportunities to explore what it means to be an apprentice, what it means to be a master or a, a teacher, a mm-hmm. mentor. And I think as Harry deals with that, the one th- the one question that I keep asking is um, whether or not McCoy in his, in his dishonesty to Harry was really being dishonest or was he just being the, the figure that Harry needed for the time and waiting for the right opportunity to have some of those conversations? Well, I'm trying to protect him a little bit. In in the way that only he can, because I think if he had told Harry, oh, if you had, if you are in any way, if you do anything at all dark, like that would kind of be Harry being like, I wonder if people would notice if I did, though, like maybe I could try things, you know, for McCoy just to go the completely other way and say that is not what magic is about. Magic is about life. Magic is about joy Um, and train Harry in that way. Um, It gave Harry a chance to search out the light in life and in the world because I think it's really easy for me to pick out the negative things going on in my life or you know my relationships or whatever it's it's harder to see the positives and so I do have to train myself to go and look for them yeah and so I I appreciate that McCoy gave Harry that lesson in that way where he can say you know life is gonna be really hard all the time like you are going to start your own business apparently and people suck but uh you know, you'll you'll get through it and you'll find wonderful things. And Harry does like just throughout these books, Harry goes through a lot of really crappy, sucky things and he manages to find the humor and he manages to find people that he's grateful for and who help him out. And he he attracts those people um, who end up being there for him when he needs them, even when he doesn't know that he needs them. You know, the, uh, we, we, we talk about level one, two and three uh, regularly and I think for me, that's one of the one of the big pieces of level three storytelling that Jim mm-hmm. Butcher weaves through these books mm-hmm. is how important it is to have people that have your back. Mm-hmm. Um, I I work an awful lot with um, with uh, student population I, as part of my job. Most of whom do not have a support system. Most of whom do not have someone that has their back, and it is. Um, 
difficult because the reaction for most of them has been to fight everywhere and everything, even the people that really are trying to have their back. Yeah. And it makes it hard. And this this idea of the critical nature of of a support system, of people who will have your back when you need them. Who know who you are, who see all the good and the not good. Maybe the soul gaze piece of that yeah. is, is, a, is a piece of that. Um, but, but we see that and we see Jim very artfully weaving that through. Um, at least I, I feel like he does. <laughs> and, I, and I feel like it is one, I, I am very uh, cognizant and very grateful for that piece of this narrative because it has helped me be very grounded at different times. Yeah. Um, and, it fe- and it makes the stories more human. It makes the stories much more powerful to me. Right. Well, and it makes it a little bit more realistic. I love that he has a moment where he has to go rescue Molly from the detectives who are questioning him. And he sees, oh, here's this new reporter from the arcane. I can <laughs> yeah. use this to my advantage. And we find we just get like a couple of pages, a brief snipet of this woman who you just know is going to come like keep oh, popping up because be Jim Butcher doesn't waste time describing people unless they're going to matter later on. But I, I love sure. that he just kind of has like it's just this brief, brief snippet and she's gone. But um, he does. He he finds the strengths of the people around him and he uses that to his advantage and to the advantage of the people that he's trying to help. Yes. Which I think is cool. And what a beautiful scene, too, when he goes right? in. And and for those of us who spend enough enough time of our lives watching police dramas and interacting with police officers, and we recognize what they can do, what they can't do, what's available, what's not available, you know, what they, they can't kick you out of certain places, they can't, and he walks right. in and he's like, so you're not really talking to this teenage child without their parents here, are you? He's <laughs> like, get out of here, Dresden. Nah, I don't think I will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, a, a, a wonderfully written scene that harkens back to um, a lot of the work that Harry has to do with uh, with his with his private investigator side. Yeah, right? it's nice that he's very he knows the wizarding laws, the laws of the magical world, but he also knows the actual laws. He's, of he's the non magical world. Jim Butcher has done a wonderful job of making sure that he gets to reinsert Harry as a private investigator on a number of occasions. Yeah, I I thought it was a uh, that scene spoke. Well, not just that scene, but uh, when the officer showed up to investigate at SplatterCon. We yeah. Splatter exclamation, Con. Point, exclamation, point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. That's right. <laughs> Three exclamation points. Every every time the cops <laughs> show up, basically, it, it it's a, and this is, this is a writing note, but it, it shows just how attentive Butcher is to his research and into knowing his stuff because he does such a fantastic job of writing police protocol. Yeah. But not in a, not in a manner that makes it, and this is how police do this. And this is how an investigation is conducted and blah. He, he weaves it into the story in, in such a way that it's, yeah. an, it's narrative and it's brilliant. And he, he, this book just does such a great job of showing his attention to detail and to research. I agree. There was a, there's another moment where Harry, um, He's given a sword and he just yeah. kind of has this moment where he's like, my experience with swords is mostly like the little thin rapiers and I have this one that's huge, but I have really long arms and really long legs. So I have this advantage and I, I love that, you know, even Harry being tall right. is just this detail that's thought of that that ends up being an advantage to him in battle. I love it. I, I, th- <laughs> I think that it's fair to say that as we've read these books, 
Um, and as and as we've grown to appreciate and to enjoy Jim Butcher's writing style, he's also gotten better at mm -hmm. the craft. Oh, he absolutely. And has. we're watching we're sense. watching the evolution of of him as a writer, um, which makes me very excited to read to continue reading the rest of the series and see where the rest of these pieces take. That's part of the nice thing about reading these books so late after they've been published is we can just bam, bam, knock them out yeah, one after yeah. another. And we can see that progression in relatively rapid time. Whereas waiting for each book to come out after a couple of years, you might not notice exactly. I was going to say, what, works, how, but... how would you feel about uh, taking a break from Dresden Files and picking up the next one in a year? <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. No. Oh my gosh. No. Your faces. You, <laughs> you both look so dejected and mad right now. So, so let me, I was let kidding. me, I was kidding. let's switch gears a little bit. We've, we've seen Michael and we got a glimpse at father Ford Hill and we've seen father Ford Hill show up in some different places. How great By is the way, that, that scene where he says, father, God and I aren't really on the same page. I'm not comfortable unburdening myself to the priest takes off his collar. He says, well, and think of me as your bartender. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, that was a, that was a great moment. Um, well, but, and that father Fort Hill is also a lawyer. Like he yes. right. really knows what he's talking about. And he knows how to make sure that he's covering all of the bases that are mm -hmm. necessary. He's he's a practical he's he's the trope of the practical priest. That's that's what I I don't know what the name for it is actually, but it, it's the I think uh, you just invented it. I'm gonna go with it. The practical, practical priest. priest. It's it's the uh, <laughs> the religious figure or the spiritual guide who is not so wrapped up in the trappings of being the spiritual guide yeah. to that they don't that they forget how life works yeah. you know what i mean when, they've figured out the way to integrate the spiritual and the practical and and he's they're he's aware of the dogma but not bound by it yes yeah 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 um and and while that's really interesting um he's kind of a I, I again he's a he's a side character we get a glimpse of him we get a little bit more detail but boy do we get a lot of detail on charity yeah yes <laughs> which we've kind of been waiting for right yeah, it was kind of obvious that it was going to have to show up at some point. Right. With all the details that we were getting from Michael and with all of the, you know, the the revelations, oh, I make I make all of Michael's armor mm -hmm. and all of those different kinds of pieces. It, it, it and and the fact that Michael's experience uh and first experience in this book with bringing Molly home is that it's charity that he sees before. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we we knew that this was going to it, it was it was nicely telegraphed. It was nicely set up. But were were we ready for the revelation that Charity has been um, a practitioner or had had the potential to have been the practitioner in the magical community that she was? It made sense as yeah. to why she would hate Harry so much. Yeah. And why she would be so protective and defensive uh, against him around her family because she has firsthand experience in that world and in how that world can go bad. And now here it is. All of the things that she has been so diligently protecting her family from are coming to the fore, not because of Harry, but because of something that she thought she could protect them from. And uh, it's just life. Yeah. It's just life. Um, and, and she, she hadn't prepared them for because she was too busy trying to protect them from it. Well, yeah. and she also let it pretty much die out for her. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily anything that she could really do to help protect them. So I right. think it's one of those things where she's like, I'm just going to stay as far away from the magic as possible, 
where I pretend that doesn't exist. And so then it it's okay out. that I don't have it anymore and I can't actually do this protecting. And maybe she believed that by distancing herself in that way that she was killing the magical opportunity and the rest of her children. Possible. Maybe. Uh, I don't, you know, we don't know. We're not getting that into sight. Um, one thing that I do find really interesting, um, at least for me, it was interesting as we look at and we we get an exposure of what her experience with Michael was and about how she was so impressed by his faith mm -hmm. that she makes a choice. I think one of the things that that is um, sometimes misunderstood or maybe not played very well, but Jim Butcher does a wonderful job of playing it, is the idea of choice in the power of all of the magics, whether mm -hmm. it's Harry's magic or the faith magic that Michael has. Michael makes choices. Um, Shiro made choices. Mm -hmm. um, even Sasha makes choices. And they remain consistent. They have integrity about those choices. Charity made a choice to abandon her magical gift and to give herself completely to this faith side of things. Mm -hmm. No, it, it is it is no wonder to me then that the the carpenter household as it is is blessed with such strong magic. Yeah, it's not just because charity. And and I as I was reading, I started to think, oh well, no wonder that there's some connection with this. Maybe the maybe charity's magic is interwoven with the with the faith magic that Michael has, and that's why. But the more that I thought about that, the more I thought, mm, okay, maybe, but I don't think so. I think it's that she has completely chosen this faith direction for her life, and that is what that is what amplifies the power of that faith for their family and for their protection, for their environment, for Michael's protection, and for all the other things that go on. Sure. It's just, at this point, with Molly having this magic, they're going to have to figure out a way for the house to function with the two different kinds of magics together. Because they, I, I personally feel like you, I could see why Charity would want to keep them separate, knowing what she does about the dark side. And at the same time, like they have trained Molly that, oh, magic is bad. Yeah, but Molly yeah. knows that that's not necessarily true because she's seen Harry and Harry is one of her dad's best friends. And and uh, with Molly living at home now, again, um, she she can't not be herself. She can't not be able to do the studying or whatever she needs to at home. Um, and so... It's called homework for a reason. It's called homework <laughs> for a reason. But, you know, she's going to have her little siblings there. And yes, if she works very hard, she will not let anybody else get injured because that's part of Harry's fears. If you right. keep it in, if you don't do anything, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, one of those littles could get hurt. Yeah. Um. And so she's going to have to find a way and probably her parents with her because she does have really lovely parents oh, who yeah. very much care about her. She and does. they they understand that world to a point, but they all need to find a way to make the two magics work together so that they can all live together and they it's i mean it's one of those things where um you know this this is something that very much changed it could change their perceptions of who molly is and i think and molly kind of took the step first to be like i'm gonna change your perception of me right now and i'm gonna yeah. dye my hair and i'm gonna get pierced in a million <laughs> places and i'm gonna have this tattoo and yeah. so i'm gonna do it first so you can't like i reject you i'm gonna because rebel. she's so afraid yeah. of getting rejected yeah um yeah it's a really um and and Jim does a does a great job in the storytelling of showing both sides of the of the question, mm -hmm. Molly's side and Charity's side, and mm -hmm. of course Michael being good, the the good paladin that he is, 
turns around and says, Harry, you fix it. You've got the capability. Yeah, please help I me. I need to go someplace else. I'm trusting you with my family. Um, that Jim, that, uh, that Jim Butcher has written it this way is, is interesting. It seems very much like much of, um, like much of life. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the mentoring that friends of the family do for children as they start to come of age is, is powerful. Um, it's, it's a natural thing that happens in many societies. I know it happens in, it, it happens very uh, powerfully in my family for my children. Mm-hmm. It also happened very powerfully for for me as I was growing up. Um, it's a it's a a nice piece, and Jim does a wonderful job of laying it out and of letting it kind of transpire and of giving Harry the opportunity to get a glimpse into a part of life that he has never been able to touch. Mm-hmm. And that idea of and again, this is the the idea of family started to be woven through his books over the last two or three. And, and again, he's using that theme as something to look at and for Harry to study and to become more familiar with and to be more aware of. Um, go ahead. Sorry, I, this is kind of a change in topic and we don't actually have to change the topic, but I, I think it's interesting you're, you're talking about family and kind of making this something that Harry is getting to know a little bit better. And that's the reason Murphy used as that as the reason why she can't be with Harry because she's like, we... I don't think either of us would be happy because we wouldn't have the family that we would yeah. want. And because I will die in 40 or 50 years and you will probably live for a couple of hundred years unless you get killed. Um, yeah. And so I don't, I don't think that's why we can be together. And here Harry is seeing this situation where he can see what a family can be and realizing that he may not actually get that. Yeah. Ah! Whoa. There go the cookies. They're not all on the floor though. They're just on the table. I had to get a napkin because I'm, because he's I'm making Todd, Todd cry. <laughs> because no, he's Todd. Because Todd's just Todd. I'm Todd incapable of making Todd cry. <laughs> because well, that, Jim Butcher wrote something that is you know, very relatable, very relatable and touching to you know Todd's sentimentality. I was gonna say, I was gonna, like, I was reading this book and I'm like, so I don't have kids, and I'm not a wizard. There isn't a lot for me to relate to except for his relationship with Murphy, and I don't want to think about that right now. So. I thought you were going to say, because Ken doesn't have a heart, so Todd, obviously, during those parts was probably a mess. I know. Um, well, you did send us a message and say that you cried during <laughs> chapter 10. And I read it, and I was like, all right, I see why Todd cried. I'm not crying because I'm dead inside, but okay. <laughs> well, I have, to, uh, I, I have to admit that that was not the only time that I cried oh. uh, as, as this book was going on. Um, there, the... Uh, and perhaps for me, the the most the most powerful moment of this entire uh, of this entire part of the discussion um, around Molly was when Charity looks at Harry and says, "Don't you let them hurt my daughter." Um, it is a uh, it it was a was a it was not a pretty moment in the Winty House when I was <laughs> yeah. going through that particular portion. Yeah. Um, and, and as, as listeners of the podcast have, have heard me say before, there, there are multiple times where I will, because I do all of my reading, I, I do my, my book prep through an audio book. And most of the time it's in my car. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, this was the first time in a Dresden Files book when I had to spend significant time in the driveway composing myself after I was done. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
because when I go in and the family sees me just sobbing, they're like, what happened, dad? What happened? And of course, by now they're all old enough. They're like, oh, no, it's just dad. Um, he'll cry at the drop of a hat if it's the right hat. Um, and <laughs> it's probably true. But um, yeah, this was one where where there were some themes that were explored uh, that were very that were very um, hard yeah. for me to to turn off and walk away from. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I look at this whole thing where Molly and uh, Charity are butting heads because of something that they have that is so similar that Charity walked away from and she really wants to try to protect Molly from and she can't. Charity has done the best job that she can. And I think every parent goes through this where they have a moment and they say, where did I go wrong? What did I do wrong? I thought I did everything that I could to help raise my child. This is not how I raised them. And um, and it's so hard to accept. I'm not a parent. So I'm going from conversations that I've had with people where they talk about, um, like at some point you have to let your child make the decision and fail on their own or succeed on their own. And I, for, Father Fort Hill says, um, well, Charity says she is my child. And Father Fort Hill says she was, if only for a time. But children are a precious gift, but they belong to no one but themselves. They're only lent us a little while. And so those lucky children who have parents who try to be around and who try to see them as they are and to love them and to raise them and to take care of them, those sweet parents know that they only have that for a little while and yeah. that children are going to keep growing up and changing. And it's really hard because you learn to love what they were and it's a hard time, hard to see them grow into something else. Um Learning to love children. But then children. they're not, they are your child, but they're not a child. Learning to oh, love yeah. children for who they are mm -hmm. and who they choose to be mm -hmm. is very different than loving children because of what they are to you. Yeah. Um, and, and, it, and it gets to a point where you're like, where, where did I go wrong? Well, it's not about you. Yeah. It's their life. And, yep. and Jim, Jim, did a, Jim did a wonderful job. I don't know what his, I, I haven't looked, uh, I don't know where he was at with his uh, life choices at this, at the point that he was writing this, but... Certainly, he explored the themes well and did oh, a, yeah. was was tender and clear and powerful all at the same time. Yeah. And so, I really appreciated it. Um, maybe offline, we'll talk about some other stuff. But sure. we got we got a few other things we have well, to talk Pat about. Well, Pat hasn't gotten to say anything in a while, so oh, I think fine. you should I'm, get you should decide what to. do. I'm well, fine. I enjoy listening to you guys talk about the. Uh, well, there's some the significant stuff. There's some significant punching <laughs> that there's, happened in there's this significant book that world I want to talk stuff about. coming up in you know all throughout this book that I'm. I'm very excited about not the least of which, in fact, probably the most of which is the discord between the summer and winter courts yes. and what that portends for everybody else, because it, it affects not just, you know, summer and winter. It affects the war between the red court and the white council too. Okay. Now, does anybody feel like Harry's realization that he got played by fix and by um, lily. lily does anybody else feel like there's there's some serious growing up that has happened with these two as far as their power oh and yeah that oh, what yeah. we're That's, and yeah. that what we are seeing jim does a great job of saying oh they're different but they're they're more than different yeah they are becoming part of the world of fairy yeah they had to grow yeah. up really fast in order to survive in there yeah yeah, that's the thing. And uh, it's there's so much there's so much uh world building for the future in all of this. I mean, Queen Mab is crazy. 
At least we're led to believe that yep. she's crazy. We're led to believe that she's crazy. There's I'm not sure. You peep short of an Easter basket. I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I'm not sure that it's Queen. Uh, I'm not sure that it's that it's uh, Lady Maeve. I think it's. I think she's the Winter yeah. Lady. But um, I'm not sure that it's her that's that's pulling the strings. But I think that she's in on it. I Because she too. and Lily were conspiring to get... The, the, this is this is all explaining you know what's happening in the book, which we try not to do, but it, because we expect that you know our listeners have read it. But but so those two are conspiring to get Harry to uh, raid the the White Castle, basically. We're for simple uh, simple Arctic description. Tour. Arctic tour. That's what it's called, but it's you know it's the White Castle, and not for burgers. The but, seat of you know. power for the Winter Court. <laughs> yeah. The the and, darkest part of put, winter. To put summer fire in the winter uh, well of power. I don't remember courtyard, what it was called, but yeah. yeah, the courtyard. Thus kind of shifting the balance of power. And and the whole reason that, that Lily and Fix help him do it is so that they get let off the hook and summer can help the white council against the red court. That is that is so much word uh-huh. salad what we just uh-huh. said. Yeah. and What I just said. But It made me so happy. That, was, that whole thing. I was like, yes, thank you. Finally helping in this war. Yes, that exactly. was one of the twists that he threw into this about the way that they did it that was just artfully done. I didn't right. see it. Because as as we're watching all of that happen, I didn't, I, and maybe I'm the idiot in the, in the room, but I didn't even get an inkling that that was where that was all coming from until all of a sudden we hear the, the sound of all of the oh. winter... Uh, all of the denizens of winter coming to see what was wrong at right. the Arctic tour. And I'm like, oh my Which all word. of a sudden it they makes sense. Just, that, yeah. They are just manipulative little sh- uh, <laughs> buttheads. Bleep. There we go. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be good. So winter's, winter's backing the red court basically. And that's why, why the wizards have been having so much trouble. And and this is this is Fix and Lily's way of, of kind of balancing the scales. And it's, we're led to believe that it's Mab who and who is uh, orchestrating orchestrating this, and it is clearly a violation of of um, fairy law. You yes. know, they're not they're not supposed to be playing sides. They're supposed to be neutral and letting the red court and the white or the red yeah red court, the red and, white court and white council have their fun over there, and they're not supposed to be getting involved. But here they are getting involved, and it, it's frustrating everything. And now. Now it, it, it's kind of even the scales a little bit, yeah. mm-hmm. which is great because apparently the red court has really been laying waste. Yeah, we, we we get a we get an insight into all of the world building stuff that is going on underneath all of the philosophical stuff we've been talking about and all of the all of the great you know the great points, but in pure level one level two, you know punching. It's so punch style. There is so much going on. Yeah. When when Harry lets loose with hellfire and summer heat in the middle of Arctic tour mm-hmm. and just blasts away. Um, that was one of those moments where I was kind of like, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Uh, maybe I do want to have a little bit of hellfire and connected with me on something like that. But then when he when he realizes what it's done and he sees some of the some of the after effects. It's, it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, and it's a, and it's a pretty impressive, I, I, although I have to admit what I kept thinking of was Hogfather. Um, (laughs) I kept thinking of the Castle of Teeth. 
Um, okay. That's when they were talking about climbing up the stairs and going into the courtyard. Uh, I, I, I kept thinking, it's a castle of teeth. Um, <laughs> it was a tooth fairy anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and for those of you who haven't heard that, go back and see, listen to our Hogfather episode. It was it was kind of entertaining. Yeah. Also, read the book because it's delightful. Oh, the book is yep. so much fun. If you're a fan of Terry Pratchett, you'll you'll love that one. Um, so here's the here's the question that I had from all of that. We the 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 fighting is wonderful. The the way that they show the different styles of fighting that are being done. Mm-hmm. You know, Michael's running around with, or not Michael, um, Thomas. Thomas is running around with the cavalry saber, and Murphy is running around with her with her pistol, and Charity's running around wearing this mail that makes her and carrying that hammer. Boy, and how about how about Charity? That she is as so a cool. Battle maiden that know. makes her basically as a as, as herself a human. Uh, fairy eliminating piece because right. of the it's armor, armor that she's it's wearing, iron. right? Yeah. Um, certainly, there's there's just lots of stuff to be able to dissect on that. But after it's all said and done, and Harry goes over and he starts realizing these statues, and of course, I, I, hopefully, you guys kind of had the feeling, oh, oh yeah, yeah, these are these are frozen people. These yeah. are frozen people, a la Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right. and exactly. all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, right? he's talking about the the guy crucified on the tree, and you know that's a real person. Yeah, and you, you know it, is. and and hopefully everybody knew exactly who that was. Yeah. Um, which is oh, which is crazy, by the way, and that's so icky. Well, and how I ask this in the end of Deadbeat, yeah, Deadbeat. Um, how soon until Harry inevitably becomes the Winter Knight? You know, and yeah. I hope never. Boy, and and there's hopefully he gets his view of the fact that he can never right. And how that is just a a stark visual slap in the face that this is what happens to the Winter Knights. Yeah. Well, know. between that and then you have well, and he was just Leah. a skeezy guy anyway. Oh, he I mean, was. He was the yeah, worst. He was, just, he he was. was. I'm not saying he deserved. And isn't it, it interesting? But... Isn't it interesting that Jim Butcher was able to create a torture so awful? That even we, mm-hmm. as as pretty lawfully new, lawfully good kinds of disposition people that we are, say, "Oh, that's just awful." We that's have horrible. pity, we have sympathy, yeah. we have empathy yeah. for him. What was his name again? Lloyd. Lloyd. That's right. The Lloyd. Win- Lloyd. The Winter Night. Yeah. Um, but then he also notices that Leah's there. Yeah. Yeah. And Leah, does, who tells him, "Do not unfreeze me. You do not want to release me." You, yeah. You don't want to. You don't want to challenge this. You don't want any part of this. But then did you notice also the the stat the the set of three statues mm-hmm. that he looked at one of them and she winked as though she had the as though she had wasn't didn't he say as though she had Mab's eyes mm-hmm. I'm what if curious all she had no I'm just kidding I was going to say what if all she had were Mab's eyes I watched Beetlejuice too recently <laughs> I I kind of wondered if maybe what's going on is that someone else has imprisoned Mab. And has taken over as Mab? Yes. Okay, so is this the same someone else that uh, Harry's talking about at the at the end with? I love this so much. Because he goes and he talks to Bob and finds out that Little Chicago has, which, by the way, is a really cool idea. By the way, but how mag- awesome is little, little Chicago? Little yeah. Chicago is magically fixed on his own. He says, a newer power is moving around out there. Something big, smart, strong, and sneaky as hell. Something with a lot of strength and magical know-how. Put that together with the evidence of varied powers. Wolf belts handed out to those poor FBI bastards. Black magic being taught to small timers like the Shadow Man in the Nightmare. Vampires cross-training one another in sorcery. Hellfire used on Arctis Tor. And of course, the White Council's highly placed traitor. All of that together doesn't just point to one person. 
It indicates an organization. And they've got wizards on the staff, probably several of them. And I think I brought that up a couple of books ago where I said, like, yeah. all of this stuff that's happening, do you think it's a person? Like, do you think that, like, and I am very glad, I feel vindicated that this was something that isn't just like, oh, these are just random happenstances. This yeah, is no. something that's clearly being orchestrated. This is, that was very good of you. Yeah, that this was very good you. This is that. Give Way your, me. Way to go me. Give yourself a red letter day and pat on the back for all of that. Megan's Gold mob star. wins points on that one. So here's the other thing Extra that cookie. I want to, obviously there's, there's more that we could spend on that one, but I want to ask a question. Is it possible? So we've we've we have a we have a moment at the end of the book where they start talking about the fact that the traitor who has the uh, the, the the traitor on the White Council who has let them be betrayed on several different occasions mm -hmm. has to be we've identified now one of four people. Mm -hmm. Yes, oh. and I think I know who the it Merlin, is, but I'm not going to say Injun Joe, yeah, Blackstaff McCoy, or uh, my ancient my, yeah. Um, they, I, I think they, they indicated that maybe it could be the the gatekeeper. Um, but well, and they said it. It could also be Morgan, but Harry was like, "It's not Morgan. It's not Morgan." Yeah, it's not Morgan. And they said, and and they both kind of agreed, it, it's not the gatekeeper. So my question is: Is it possible that it could be Blackstaff McCoy? It's possible. I think. I don't, I don't know if I want to say, oh, okay, I'll go on record because I don't know. I don't know. But them saying they don't think it can be the gatekeeper doesn't mean to me that it's not the gatekeeper. Yeah, I don't know either. Right, I'm and just, McCoy also, I'm just he, saying. he says, I'm going to vouch for Injun Joe, but I'm still like, it could still be him though. You don't know. Yeah, I just, there was something about the way it's like, oh, it wouldn't be the gatekeeper. Uh, that kind of set my spidey sense off a little bit. Like, well, uh, the, the, the fact that, the fact Peter that, Tingle. uh, my butcher tingle went off we're, just a little. We're bit. not going to call it my Peter tingle. Um, <laughs> I remember, by the way, I, I remember how like ten chapters into the book, I texted you both and said, "I have a mind blowing prediction." Yes, and, and I wrote it down and all that. We'll talk about it in a second. I just okay. wanted to remind you guys okay, that okay. I did that because it still blows my mind. But continue, well, I, sorry, I think that I think tingle. the thing that the yes. thing that is really the thing that is really fascinating about this, um, at least for me is that um, Jim has developed a, an ability to tell an episode and have it be part of a larger uh, process mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. doesn't feel contrived. Mm -hmm. um, yes. I've, I've, read, I've read enough fantasy books that I've seen ones where um, the episodes uh, are very contrived to drive the plot along. I've also seen them where um, the plot isn't really being driven by the, 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 the pieces are really well written, mm -hmm. but it's almost impossible to keep them flowing with a larger plot. And so you have to throw something in at the end that didn't happen in the book, but you, we're going to tell you about it now so that, you know, when it shows up in the next book, that's how we're connecting them. Right. Um, but Jim does a, Jim has, has done a really wonderful job of connecting his individual episodic stories, these individual books and making them something that can stand alone but are still interconnected mm -hmm. to a much larger tale. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm very impressed with that, and I'm very I'm I'm envious of that skill. I hope to be able to develop it one day. Um, but it's it's something that really has just locked me into this universe and made me really want to just keep devouring them as quickly as possible. Well, and the crazy thing to me is we're eight books in, and it's already kind of blowing our minds and making us go, "Oh my gosh, this it's is so crazy. amazing." Yeah. Everything is blowing my mind and we've got eight more books 
And we've got listeners and Redditors and people who have said everything changes at, you know, when you get to changes and stuff, you know, and and all of that. Wait until you get to this book. Wait till you get to that book. A lot of people say changes is the one that like blows everything to pieces. But I'm, you know. All right. What's your prediction that you made? Okay. If you don't want to hear it, fast forward 30 seconds from right now, because this is my prediction starting now. So Mab is the Winter Queen, Maeve is the Winter Lady, Mavra is a name that sounds like Mav and Maeve. My prediction is Mavra is related to the Winter Court, sisters of the Winter people, and is manipulating the balance of power between winter and summer. Interesting. She is doing something to, maybe she's kidnapped Mab and has taken her place. Maybe she's... Or maybe she's imprisoned Mab. Yeah. By learning something and by using it against her. Yep. I think, I think Mavra is related to the winter court in some fashion. That's an interesting prediction. I, I hope. think she's, she's like, you know, maybe they're all sisters. I don't know. Cause they all have the same kind of name. I'm looking but forward to reading that one. That, that I think hope. you were right on when you said there's, she's bigger, a bigger deal than, than oh, we yeah. uh, let on. But I think oh, she yeah. is, I think she's the big, the big player in all of it. And, and I really do believe as we, as we were talking about what we saw at Arctic tour, Mm-hmm. I don't think that Mab is insane. No, but I do think she's imprisoned. I think she's imprisoned. And replaced. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think she's imprisoned. And I think that's why everything is going crazy. I do have to admit, when Harry said that he had his own abilities of gathering information about the world of fairy, instead of seeing Fix and Lily, I was kind of hoping for Toot Toot. <laughs> Maybe we still I have, have to admit, I was really looking forward to Toot We toot. haven't seen Chauncey since book one, so... That's true. Yeah, I think we've, I think we're, we've, we've got more opportunities for those, for those kinds of opportunities to show up. I I am intrigued by Harry saying, you know, after he's been through this whole thing with, you know, the summer court kind of playing him against the winter court and also going through the, um, the thing with Molly. I can't think of what it's called, where he had the whole, the trial with Molly, the trial where the he realizes that he's going to have to be more of a politician. And I'm very curious to see how that goes because Harry is usually an every man for himself kind of guy. Like yep. this is what I'm currently working on and I'm not going to worry about anything else. Yeah. And now he's uh, directly responsible for another life and her life is directly responsible for his. And but, he and has, it, yeah, and he is they, expertly, they sink, yeah, they sink or float together. And he has expertly manipulated the Merlin in front of the Council of Wardens, and as a yeah. result, that is going to spread through the White Council. That's got to be a good thing, right? Oh, yeah. And that right, Merlin, well, especially because yeah. he's not sure which of them is a traitor. So he's going to have yeah. to play that as well. And that Merlin didn't like him to begin with. So Well, and I, I and I think, you know, you don't become Merlin by collecting bottle caps. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think what we are watching, by the way, did you hear how many references there were to Star Wars in this one? Yeah. That was one of the things that I caught early on that when he was when he was starting to make I think up through about chapter 13 there was one Star Wars reference per per chapter uh which I I thought I I said and I was saying to myself I wonder if he's going to do this through the entire book so it's kind of funny. Um <laughs> you know the interesting thing is we've talked about all of the other pieces and we haven't really talked very much about what happened at SplatterCon. Um we didn't talk about his about the web of detection. We didn't talk about uh, the member of the white, uh, the member of the um, white court. Uh, what was his name? The the actor dude, uh, Danbury something or other. Blah blah blah. 
Remember the oh Dar- Darby. Darby. There we go. Yeah. You don't when he says you don't look much like a Darby. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know Harry's Harry's vampire radar going off when he's about when when he was about to kiss Murphy's hand. Yeah. And I'm watching yeah. that and I'm like, that's yeah, smarmy son of a gun. Yeah. Um, so you know, I've, it, so much in this book that was part of the main story mm-hmm. all of a sudden gets diverted at about chapter 25 or 25 or 26. Yeah. And it almost feels like this this was two very different books yes. that were combined into one that told a much larger story whether whether he intended it that way or whether it just worked that way I don't know but wonderful storytelling on both of them yeah. because all of this had to happen within about 24 hours. Yeah, it was it was interesting to me. I got to a certain point where they're wrapping things up with Molly and I thought what we still have or they were wrapping things up with the splatter con. He's like, "Oh, we I figured out who the villain is and it's Molly and oh, we rescued her from the cast and we still had like 150 pages left." And I was like, "What? What, yeah, what right? is yeah. there to do?" And yeah, it's just it was kind of fun. Really good stuff in I'm this exce- book. Oh, man, there's so much for the future. Yeah, really good really a really good book. And a really good springboard mm-hmm. into even more that most of us are excited about getting involved. Do with we anyway. have predictions? Do we have predictions? I have one prediction. What's your one prediction? I Ken? think we end up with a third night of the cross by the end of the next book. Uh, I think we do too. Only, and- only because it's called White Knight, and we haven't had a we haven't had a third night of the cross for a while, and they brought it up in this book. And, and it seems we- like his track record that he brings it up, and then the next book. Did we notice that Murphy saw the sword? Yes. I did not notice that. Yes. And no one else has. (laughs) Yep. No one else has. And since Murphy's out of SI, Mm -hmm. I'm still holding with my prediction that Murphy's the one that gets the sword. Yeah. That's that's my prediction. It could be Rollins. (laughs) Rollins is the best. Rollins, I, Rollins I, I like that great. they're going to be paired up together because at least she's paired up with somebody who gets her and yeah. believes her, even yeah. if he did know her dad. I'm and, interested to see and, and knows her dad. Yeah. yeah, knew her dad. I'm interested to see. I, Ten bucks says that the new director of special investigations is going to be a skeptic. Maybe even that skeptic that he ran into at SplatterCon. Oh, that would be interesting. I can't remember the guy's name now. The detective Gibbons. Green Gibbons Green Green Green. Green. So. Ten bucks says Green is the new head of SI. It's got to be a skeptic. It can't be somebody like Murphy. No, it's not going to be somebody like Murphy. Um, but wouldn't it be interesting if it was Rick? Oh, <laughs> boo. He's FBI, though. He's FBI, but it doesn't mean that they couldn't move him around. That would be entertaining. Um, Ugh, all right. Well, we've got some. We've got some predictions. We've got some good things to look forward to. Uh, we got about two weeks. Let's uh, also more look- more uh, fun with uh, fun with teaching magic. So that'll fun. be fun. <laughs> yeah. Fun. Fun with fun with awkward magic discussions. Number one, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't say that I'm, I'm disappointed about being able to explore that. But we're gonna have some fun times. Oh, I just realized. I know we're trying to wrap up, but I just realized that he's, I bet losing his SI paycheck at the same time he just got his warden's uh, nice little. Steady well, stream of warden money coming in, and he's done building little Chicago, so maybe he's got a little yeah. bit of cash. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, and Thomas isn't living with him anymore, so that that could help. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting too. I mean, but Thomas is still watching, oh, watching out for him. Yeah. There's also I do want to find out more about Mouse. I'm you are correct. Like you were correct when you predicted Ken that he would be one of my favorite characters, and I'm uh, really, I'm really enjoying Mouse. He's fun. He's fun. <clears throat> 
Well, guys, thank oh, you very so much. much I, I think oh, yeah. we've I think we've kind of concluded this one. We've 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 gone a little over our normal, but hopefully our listeners have enjoyed it as much as yeah. we have. And I apologize, by the way, I didn't I didn't get a pre-discussion question thread posted uh-huh. before before the beginning of this one. So uh, put your questions when we when we post the episode to Reddit. If you have questions, put your questions in Reddit, and we'll do our best to discuss them before we talk about yeah, white night or just the beginning of the, the, the white night podcast yeah we will absolutely yeah. all right everybody have a wonderful time thanks for joining us we'll see you next time i do believe in fairies somebody wake up craig hey. Hey. <laughs> we're done We've done. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to stay in. That's going right at the end. That's going to be the tail of the episode right there. Somebody needs to wake up Craig. Oh, goodness, that was funny. Uh, you just look so peaceful. It, obviously, it was boring. A little bit uh, love.